Hello, and welcome to the Global Luxury Real Estate Mastermind with me, your host, Michael Valdez. Today's guest is somebody that I've known for years, someone that I respect so, so much. Luis Padilla is the president of the Padilla Group at Remax. He is the incoming president nationally for NAREP. Luis, welcome to the show, my brother. How are you, man? I'm great, Michael, man. It's a pleasure having you uh, being here with you today. It's always a pleasure seeing you, so I'm ready to go. I can't wait. I'm going to see you in a, in a little over a week. We're going to be in D.C. together. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, man. Yeah, we get to see President Obama. He's going to be a keynote speaker. Um, How crazy had, is that? Yeah, right? He'll be a third president. We've had uh, George Bush, Bill Clinton, and now um, President Obama. So that's going to be crazy. I don't know too many organizations have had the privilege of having three speak, three past presidents speak, especially at the pinning of my ceremony. So that's going to be uh, very special. That's going to be a great sort of event. And it, it's, it's super great for you. But we're going to touch on NARAP a little bit later. But I know that you have had over, what, 30 years of experience in this crazy business. How did you get started? That's a long story, so I hope the podcast have enough time. But uh, yeah, so just to kind of give you the cliff notes, uh, started working at a local bank, Ocean Bank, as uh, straight out of um, high school. I started studying wow. at night, got my bachelor's eventually in finance. And I left Ocean Bank as a junior loan officer, started their SBA program. But in banking, there's a lot of great titles, but not a whole lot of great salaries. So That's therefore, right. I opened up a mortgage company out of my one-bedroom apartment with a fax machine and a beeper, whoever uh, remembers those gadgets. I remember and them. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, did that. I eventually worked myself out of that one-bedroom apartment. The office did. I stayed and uh, opened up an office on Lincoln Road. And I uh, rode that way for about 15 years in the mortgage industry. I was the owner of Oceanside Finance. And wow. so I did mortgages for about eight, uh, 15 years, 18 years. And uh, during that recession, I was forced to close it down. There was nobody lending. And I uh, quickly jumped over as a Remax broker owner. And I rode that for 15 years and um, sold it last uh, May of 2020 and stayed on as part of the agreement or contractual agreement for me to stay on with Remax Advance uh, for the remaining for about a couple of more years with the team. And that's sort of where my, you know, that was where my career was, was sort of heading and where it's at now. A little bit more laid back, a little bit more yeah. uh, aggressive. Well, I don't know if you're laid back. I mean, I know you and you're so aggressive in what you do. Your, your hands are in everything. But you know what's so beautiful is that what your focus is now has always been in helping others. And that's one of the things that I admire so much about you. But I think that it's sort of like, you know, we talk about sort of that spirit, right? Of like where we, we, we had similar backgrounds. I know your family was also from Cuba. We've spoken about this in the past. And I have like this, this, this theory where it's always like these children of immigrants, especially if it's if it's sort of like your parents leaving for political reasons, there's always that thing where failure is not an option and we'll figure it out somehow. And I've spoken to so many people, especially with the privilege of this podcast and just throughout my career, where it seems to be the common denominator. Would you agree with that statement? 
hundred uh, percent. So we left Cuba when I was two years old. And, and to your point, I think most immigrants have that drive of yeah. achieving and getting to a better place and yeah. making it a generational improvement. In other words, I'm going to commit everything I can for my son to have a better life. And that's instilled in me now as a father of three, where I'm doing everything I can to make sure my, my children have a better, um, better opportunities than I did. Um, so I, I think that's definitely the immigrant story. I think for me, especially, it resonated where I, my, both of my parents had two jobs. They had day jobs. And then at night as an entrepreneur, we, you know, we had a small business, which cleaned offices and, 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 uh, and small companies and stuff. And so I remember my dad was like, hey, after work, after school, you got to meet me and you got to clean offices. And, and so we did. And, and we, you know, they have the American dream, my parents now, they retired at, at 65, they have their 401k, they have dual retirements, they invest in the stock market, they have perfect credit, they own real estate. Yes. So from the shirt on their back to that journey, I think as an immigrant, you never want to disappoint that sacrifice that your parents did for you. Uh, and, and you always want to make sure that you stay within that uh, trajectory. Yeah. Um, especially, I think another thing is that you always want to, you know, with no offense to, to hard work, but you were like, well, I cleaned offices when I was 18. I don't want to be cleaning offices when I'm 48. I want to build on that. And my kids, you know, didn't have to work at 16 and 17, but they, they, well, at 14 and 15, but at 18, my son's not working as a part-time job, but it's not, but it's at, you know, at a retail store. Right. So it's right. different. Um, you definitely want to work, not look smarter. Bad. Yeah. Work smarter. Yeah. And, and that sort of better yourself. There That's go. right. But it's always that work ethic that was instilled early on, right? That really is what shaped us. And so I think that's really the foundation of what it is. I want to go back to real estate for just a second. In, 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 in your 30-year career, and especially how you started, which is amazing, and you started with your mortgage company in your one-bedroom apartment with your beeper. I love that story. I'm going to, I'm going sure. to pick on you for a while when I see you. <laughs> but it's that sort of like resilience, right? And then you grow. So at what point, either on the mortgage side or the real estate side, because there's a lot of people that are probably listening that have had a very similar start. At what point do you then go and say, I need more people. I need to build a team. I'm now bringing in a lot more business. At what point does it change from Luis Padilla to Padilla Group? So it's Padilla team, but uh, that's just- Padilla team, sorry. <laughs> uh, more than one. <laughs> yeah, more than one for sure. So it comes to a point where you're not providing good service. You take on a client, at least I take on a client to deliver service, not to cut the edges, not to kind of half-ass it, uh, but to deliver good service, right? And that's a matter of pride. So if I can't deliver that good service because I have too much work or it's a uh, more challenging client that I don't have the time to put into because I have uh, you know, a plate full of other clients, then you, you kind of hand it off. That's when you need a team. And there is, um, there's always, um, when you first start in the industry, you'll work with, you know, whether it's challenging credit or limited inventory, you take on the bigger challenges. As you evolve in your career, you're, you have the privilege of being able to select the more ready clients and the, the um, less challenging clients. 
But there's challenged clients that still need to work. And there's a realtor that's ready, willing, and able to help that client. And so you make that connection. Uh, and, and something I've done throughout my career is I always engage the client initially. And if it's not my fit or if I'm not going to personally work with them, I bring on James, let's say. And I introduce him to James. I'm at that meeting. And I do really, as I hand it off, I let that client know that I'm, I am there under my umbrella, under my supervision, under my protocol, under my work ethic. And any problems they have, here's my cell number. If Jane screws up, I want to be the first to know. And, and so with that kind of um, endorsement, and, yeah, endorsement and sort of guidelines, my okay. realtors know what's expected of them. Yes. If they can't perform, they, they, won't be, they, they won't be part of the team. Uh, and there's a time and place for everything. So when you feel, in summary, when you feel that uh, you're not providing good service to all your clients, then you have to get a segment of those clients and hand it off to the team and hand them off to, I think always it's the best. Don't just, in my opinion, don't just hand it off to James or to Rocio or to whoever it may be. Try to find that, 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 that connection, uh, you know, whether it's a language connection, an age connection, um, where they are in their life, they have kids, they have, don't have kids, they're out of town, whatever that connection is, because that initial connection with yourself and with your team member you know, will we'll definitely um, make that client sticky to your team. You know, what's so interesting about what you just sort of said, it was selfless. You took your ego out of it. Everyone yeah. that's sort of listening to this as they start growing their business, they say, I want all the business. All the business is not right for you, right? Necessarily, it's not right. You can't grow your business that way. You need to sort of think of it as, as, as we look at, you know, like we're both from banking world. As you look at what interest does compounding, you're compounding yourself, right? The only way you can grow is by allowing yourself and who you are, yourself in air quotes. That means the quality of who you are, the parameters you put in place, the culture that you build within your own team to be able to sort of say, I'm still behind all of this. Whether you're de dealing with James Rocio or Luis, you're dealing with the culture that I've created. And that's how you grow. Uh, absolutely, the culture and, and the work ethic and also instilling that in your team where that's it. You, you know, there is a certain bar that you have to meet. And if you're not meeting that bar for whatever reason, you gotta cut them out. It reflects on you. The bar's gonna hit you on the head. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we, we both have had decades of experience in the business. Somebody coming in or has been in the business in the last few years has only known an up market, right? They haven't known a cyclical market. Right. So it's something that the, 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 the industry is supposed to be cyclical. And this cycle has taken historically a lot longer than what usually has been a cycle of seven years, give or take in our industry historically. So tell me what three pieces of advice you would give somebody entering the business today with that sort of viewpoint. Yeah, so I thought about that. And being in the business for a bit, uh, you've <laughs> kind of learned um, what is important. And you can't, at least for me, I'm always constantly revisiting that, right? Am I, is this what's really important? And what is important? What is, what is prioritized today? What is top priority today? Those are the things you got to take care of initially. So staying organized, right? So staying organized for me is I'm a little bit old school or a lot of old school. So I still use a legal pad and a pen to kind of have my to-dos for today. 
Those go on a yellow pack because I'm seeing it. They're next to me. I get to scratch them out as they move along. But I think organization is key. So for my long-term um, appointments or things to do, I do use a CRM. So tip number one is have a CRM. No CRM is perfect. Someone's going to have this. I mean, someone's going to have that. My opinion to that as, as when I used to coach with Tom uh, was just find a CRM that speaks to you. Don't pick a CRM that you feel it's difficult and it doesn't make sense. And where do I find this? Where do I find that? Take a trial to the CRMs that speak to you. Say like, oh yeah, of course it's here. And when you click there for something, that's where it is. And when you're looking for something, you find it and it's got to make sense. It's got to make sense in your head. Um, um, you need to be gelled in with your CRM. So it's the CRM that works for you. All it is, is a reminder and sort of uh, keep you organized. So CRM is number one. Then number two, I think the key to, um, one of the main keys a, a realtor should learn is how to sort through ready, willing, and able buyers. So as a newer realtor, you wanna work with all buyers because you're like, oh my God, I have a buyer. So let me work the hell out of them because I have a buyer. He's breathing and he says he wants to buy. But not all breathing clients are a good client. You've got to make sure, in my opinion, that they're pre-qualified 100%. So they've shown that commitment to get pre-qualified. They have enthusiasm or motivation. I use enthusiasm more than motivation because you can be motivated but not be happy about that motivation. Meaning That's they're true. enthusiastic about buying a home, about visiting homes. They're, they're telling you, Louis, I found this. Let's go see this. When are we going to find it? When are we going to go look? So enthusiasm and motivation is, is number two. And I think the most important is my North Star is um, always lead with your heart, meaning do the right thing. And when you're not sure, reverse the roles. Is this something I want to be done to me? And the answer is maybe, don't do it. If you, so your North Star has, your, has to be your, your moral, your morality, where do the right thing lead with your heart do unto others as you wish others would do unto you and with those three tips stay organized only work with clients that really want to buy a house not the ones that not the looky lookies and 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 have a good moral compass and lead with your heart and do the right thing because that will multiply in, in 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 the world 10 times over and will keep you protected along the way for your career when you always lead with your heart and do the right thing yeah, I don't keep you out of trouble, right? Because if you're usually well, doing the right thing, you're not going to get in yeah. trouble I mean. with Frank or yeah. anybody else. Exactly, right. So, so like, there yeah. are no shortcuts in this business. You know, you you want to be you want to be a a a a agent who is an advisor to a client. You don't want to be a transactional broker. You've got to be able to, especially with first-time home buyers. As a New York agent, you're probably working with first-time home buyers. My best advice is be there for them. Talk them off the edge because they're ready to jump, jump ship. And if you can't take that call, just make sure you tell them, I can't take your call now, but let's talk at six o'clock. Spend those 30 minutes. They just want to vent and let you know the concerns and you talk them off the edge and they'll think they're, that's, you've got to be that warm blanket for them in this process. We do it every day. We're closing, you know, eight, 10, 12 transactions a month. They're doing it once every seven, eight years. So it's for them, it's a monumental task. Exactly. And I love what you said, put yourself in the other shoe, right? And sort of like ask yourself, would you, would you do this? Right. And so I think that's really important. So tell me what the greatest lesson you've learned so far in your career, Luis. Uh, <laughs> the greatest lesson I've learned is uh, perseverance. Like stay, that. Yeah. Perseverance. Stay 
uh, I've only done real estate my whole life, right? So I've when I when the mortgage meltdown happened, I looked at all types of things. I looked at chicken farms. I went to visit a chicken farm in Opalaka. Uh, I looked at gas stations. I looked at everything, right? Because I was like, real estate is in the dumps. But I circled back. I said, my book of business is real estate. Everybody knows me for real estate. I got to stay within the real estate wheelhouse yeah. and just pivot. That's what I did. Uh, but my greatest, um, my greatest lesson uh, that I've learned is perseverance. And, and we are all going to go through storms. And all storms have a beginning and have an end. And this, we're not necessarily in a storm now. We're sort of like this. We've had this beautiful seven, seven year, six year sort of beautiful weather we've had in the real estate industry. But uh, as the net series tells you, winter will come and get ready for winter. Because, and when winter comes, just stay true to who you are, stay true to your career, keep doing what you were doing, and the storm, you know, shall pass, and you come out the other side of a better realtor, a better person. I love how spiritual you are. Is that a strong part of what you're, what builds on you? Um, it's something I think I've developed a little bit more as I've uh, aged uh, and become, uh, I think, a father of teenagers now. I've kind of given a different perspective. You've become more zen. <laughs> I think so. I have to be. <laughs> you deal with it better. So, yeah, for sure. As, as I mentioned in the introduction, you are the incoming national president of NAREP, the National Association of Hispanic Real Estate Professionals. I've had the great privilege of sitting on the board with you of the Corporate Board of Governors for the organization for many years. But tell me, First of all, congratulations. I'm going to be at your inauguration ceremony, Thanks. which I'm very excited about in D.C. And uh, tell me what that means for you. Well, um, I've been involved in RF for probably about 12 years now. And um, started at the local chapter with the South Florida chapter. Took on the uh, local national presidency. became chapter of the year that year. And slowly... Um, just kind of work through the ranks uh, yeah. of NARA. And um, as far as my NARA career, this is pinnacle. Uh, and as becoming national president, there's things, you know, after that, that will be more sort of on an advisory level. But this is as uh, the pinnacle of that journey. Um, and NARA has always meant the world to me. It, it comes back to being able to give back, uh, being able to to stay, you know, to be able to do business with your same cultura and not lose your cultura as you're doing business. And, and for me, that was important. And so it's great. It's always been great through the journey to be able to, I've always been able to take a step behind the curtains and then further back in the curtains and then further back and see how it all works out. And uh, I'm super excited. I follow great, uh, some great leaders before me. So I'm very honored and humbled to be in this position, for sure. Well, I'm excited for you. I really admire your leadership, both in our community and in our industry. I've known you for a long time, Luis, and it's always seen who you are as a gentleman, as a person, and as a leader. And you always make sure that whatever door you're opening, you're making sure that open door is there for others. Tell me where that comes from. Is that just the spirit of who you are and what you were raised with? Because it's not just, I'm going to make sure that Luis succeeds and my family succeeds. You're going to make sure that everyone around you does. And I've admired that so much about you over the years. 
Thanks, Michael. I appreciate that, man. You have a lot of kind words. I really appreciate that. Um, you know, I, I just feel that it's not just about, you know, just to say, as the kids say, it's not just about the Benjamins. It's about, uh, it's, it's about, you do have you know, teenagers, don't you? Huh? You do have teenagers. <laughs> I do, right? <laughs> not just about the Benjamins. Go on then. <laughs> yeah, not just about the Benjamins. It's about um, making a difference, making a difference in people's homes, making a difference, in, you know, in, in people's lives. Uh, and also being an example. Um, uh, my parents were an example to me as to what, what is hard work, what is success, and not success in a monetary term, but what is success as a, as a father, as a mother, as a family. And, um, and now I, I think my biggest um, challenge is the perception my kids have of me and what they see. And, and you built, you know, you, you, you are a product of your environment. And uh, even though we came from very humble beginnings, uh, my kids, thank God uh, that they have, uh, they've had a better upbringing, but uh, um, morality, the family uh, connection, uh, how you are perceived by your family, your wife, your kids, your cousins, your peers, your friends, uh, that to me is important, is that when um, it's not about the transactions, but it's about um, you kind of doing the right thing um, for the transaction. Now, there's no shame in making money. Money yeah, makes the world go round, but money, in my opinion, what it does, it, it's not for me, it, it buys me time. It buys yeah. me time to create memories. Uh, it doesn't necessarily, it buys me a boat, which I have, and it buys me a car, which I have, and a nice house, yeah. which I have, but it's not the boat, it's the time you spend on the boat. And the money buys you the time to spend on the boat, on vacation, with your family, with your friends, and building those memories. Because we've got to get away from all the Latinos, especially that say, well, you know, spend it, you can't take it with you. No, you can't take it with you, but you should. You can leave it for the next generation. And it's important for us to build generational wealth and not spend it on big, shiny things. And so that's that's what's most important now at this point in my life it was i had different priorities at different times in my life but now at 55 sort of i've uh, to use your words i'm a little bit more zen now yeah and it, it's it's building the legacy is what i'm hearing right it's sort of like what you're yeah. leaving behind yes sir yeah i love that so tell me who the most influential person in your life was and why you know i'm an only child so um i have no siblings and it, it kind of, I hate to sound like a broken record, but I sound, you know, it comes back to my mom and dad, um, seeing everything they've done. And uh, I've always tried to, I guess, subconsciously find somebody that can, um, that I could admire more than my dad. And uh, he's a simple man, you know, just high school education. But um, the, the sacrifice they've done to put me in this position now, especially with, you know, sort of, a lot of things have come in line now in, in my career. Uh, the sacrifice they've done and the sacrifice they've done for me, um, including uh, moving and leaving everything back in our home country. Uh, I think my parents mutually, not just one person, would be the person I, I think that uh, one of the most influential. And I hope to be able to duplicate that for, for my family. You know, It's a beautiful thing. I have one final question for you, my brother. So in your book of life, what is this chapter called? I thought about that question. 
I think this is <laughs> the most difficult question, so I don't sound uh, uh, very boxed in. But um, I think I'm at a plateau, right? So I, I think of my life and my journey has always been about climbing and yeah. climbing out of the one bedroom, uh, one bedroom apartment and climbing into an office and climbing into having the financial um, uh, the mortgage company and then reclimbing. And so I've always been climbing and thriving and getting more and more and more. Um, and right now I'm at a plateau in that, in that mountain. I'm not at the peak, but I'm at a plateau where I'm looking out in the horizon of my life and I am sort of reaping the rewards, you know, of what I've sowed. Uh, and I talk a lot about that through NAREP, which is about timing, right? Yeah. There's a timing and life is everything. There's a, but there's a time to, you know, bust your back to keep this PG, to bust sure. your back and take financial risks like I did, you know, opening up a mortgage company, leaving banking, a steady paycheck. But I was in my yeah. 20s. I was a single man. So if, you know, if things didn't go well, I moved back to my parents or I lived out of my, my car, right? I was by myself. But as you progress and you, you, you establish a partner, you establish a companion, you establish a, a, a family, then your financial risk becomes more conservative because now it's not just about you. Now there's somebody else, there's other people in your life and that you have to be conscious for or you should consider making those financial risks. So my thoughts are that you have to time the trajectory of life and, and be able to, for that generational wealth, for building wealth, building time, building wealth to have the time, you have to do it. There's a time and place there. Don't wait till like, oh yeah, I'm going to go out tonight to the club because, you know, I can, tomorrow I'll go back at the office on Monday. No, do things that, do things now uh, as a young person for the, our young audience that, so you don't have to do it later, right? Because now at 50, I've sort of you know, I'm kind of have things on automatic pilot, thank God, and things can change. But, you know, they're on semi-automatic pilot. I got to grab the wheel every once in a while. But that yeah. wouldn't have been, that wouldn't, that didn't happen by chance. That happened of 30 years of work. And so that's okay. what I'm trying to tell the audience is that you got to start early. You got to start your investments early, your sacrifices early, because if not, those nights at the club, not going to let you have time, peace of mind at 50. Uh, and, and, and prioritize yourself. You know, I was no angel. I, you know, I got married later in my life. I got married at 36. So I, you know, I was out there, but there was always priority. And the priority was working on your future and, and, and giving time to work on your future and planning because this is the most valuable asset, Michael, as you know, we're, we're peers in, I think in age, more or less. Um, we're you know, time age. Oh, exactly. So, you, say. so we, you know, time just goes like that. And I, growing up in Miami, I'm sure you had the same opportunities I had. Hey, let's go, let's go to I don't know, throw some names out there, you know, club. I grew news. up in New York, but it's just, but I get the but I get the point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, let's go out here. Hey, let's go out there. And yeah, yeah, you can go out, but do you need to go out four times a week? No, maybe you should work three and go out one. That's right. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, what is that going to, you know, the what really is going to you? You're not. You're only going to sow what you reap. If you don't plant anything, there's going to be nothing for you to harvest. I'm at that point now in my life, thank God, where the you know what I've harvested, what I've planted has come into harvest, and I'm able to to sort of look out there and see see what I've what what I've built and be able to enjoy my family for a while. Uh, you know, maybe till the kids grow up a little bit, uh, and then 
I may circle back and continue climbing, but um, right now I'm just, the chapter of my life is called the plateau. I love that. And you know what? What you just said was a valuable lesson, especially for people in our community who probably don't think it in that manner where you start planning for the future. You know, um, through NAREP, there's a lot of things that we do with the Hispanic Wealth Project and the idea of really coming in and having our community think of wealth in a different way. I think that is almost like, it's almost a dirty word. And it's sort of like, there's nothing wrong with wealth and with legacy and what you're building, right? It's sort of like, uh, the, the call right before this was with my attorney figuring out uh, some changes that I have to my trust. It's like, you're supposed to be doing that. You're supposed to be doing something that comes in and leaves something behind when you're no longer here. That's when you start sort of like creating that magic of spending the days that you're spending on this earth to make a difference for others. Right, right. Absolutely. And if your audience is not familiar with the NARF 10, Google it. NAREP 10, it's my challenge as president and coming president to the audience in DC is for everybody to, to look at the NAREP 10 and really adapt and live by at least three. And whoever's at that conference, I want them to adapt and really, I want to, for them to adopt and really live into three of the NAREP 10. And uh, it'll be my, uh, to be ready to answer the question when I ask, when I walk up to you, Michael at DC and ask you, what are your top NAREP three uh, of, the, of the NAREP 10 disciplines? What are your top I'm going to do it. I'll and do then it. I hope your answer is ready. And, uh, and it's really uh, having a plan, having a plan for the future. That's exactly what it is. My brother, thank you so much for your leadership. It's been so much fun just to have this conversation, to really be able to know you a little bit. I've known you for years, but I don't think we've ever really sort of done this sit down like this. And it's really great to get to know you in that level. You really are such an amazing leader, but really an amazing human being, an amazing gentleman, and such a great leader in our community, which is really what I admire so much about you. You have my support in everything. You always know that. I'm a phone call away for what you have coming in. And I know that you're going to call me because you're going to be incoming president for something. So I'm saying yes already. I'm there for whatever you need me for. Michael, you're, you're absolutely right. We cross each other at the conference and it's, we have a brief conversation where we never take it to this level. So I thank you for the invitation of, of kind of carving out this time for us to kind of go a little deeper. Un abrazo, bro. Te gracias. And thank you all of you for listening. This has been the Global Luxury Real Estate Mastermind with me, your host, Michael Valdez. Mm -hmm.